Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So, uh, Linda and I in the prayer room were talking about this. What I really want to talk about is breakthrough. And there's a lot of aspects of breakthrough. But specifically, it's been on my mind, breakthrough in relationships. And by breakthrough, I mean where we push and we get beyond fear and into joy. We start really enjoying connection, connection with God and with each other. And as I've been thinking about that for actually over a month now, a lot of verses from 2 Corinthians came to mind. And what evolved with it, and I and talked to Fran and uh, Linda about it, we're going to do a series on 2 Corinthians. Today, we're only going to go as far as 1 Corinthians 14, because I'm going to talk about Acts. Because to really understand the power and the secret of bold humility that leads to breakthrough, we have to really have it fresh in our mind what these everyday people, what their lives were like. And it helps to remember who Paul was as a person and the evidence of that that we see in Acts and in his letters and what Corinth was. Because Corinth was a major city. And I'll repeat this, but I'll make it clear. It was a major secular city. Okay, in the land of Achaia, and that's why I have this map up, is a couple reasons. One, I want you to see where Rome and Italy are, and then down in the lower right corner is the Middle East part where you have Jerusalem and where everything started. But I want it clear, in some ways we'd say it's a very small part of the world. Because it, it, in, in Acts and in the letters, we get words like Achaia and Bithynia and so forth. But I want it clear, like, for example, when Paul says, I just heard a message the other day from a, a speaker I respect, and he talked about how Paul wanted to take the gospel to the continent of Asia. That actually isn't true. What Paul, what Paul, when Paul said he wanted to take the gospel to Asia, it was the province of Asia. And the province of Asia in Paul's time was just what is now Western, the Western part of Turkey. And it helps when we see these names know what he's talking about. So you'll see right where it says Asia and Galatia and such, all of that is just Turkey. Paul's first missionary trip with Barnabas, they only went through Eastern Turkey. Like all the cities they visited was in a relatively small area. And we're going to be talking about Corinth and such, and we're talking about Macedonia. But when Paul talks about going to Macedonia, he was only going to the cities in southern Macedonia. So nowadays, what was then Macedonia is all just part of Greece. So Macedonia, northern Macedonia still does kind of exist as Macedonia, but Paul didn't get that far. And southern, the southern part, which is, was called Achaia, was also referred to as the land of the Hellenists, or Hella. And then... Latin translated to Greece, so in a lot of our scriptures it refers in Acts 20 to where Paul went to Greece. But it was actually Hella, and at that time that was the same as Achaia. And actually, usually when people just use that, that term like, oh, I went to Hella, and it's translated Greece, it means he specifically went to Corinth. Because Corinth was the whole center of what they later labeled Greece in that day. So the land of Achaia was a big, significant place. The city of Corinth was the major city. It was the Roman capital of the area. It was highly populated. 
It also helps to remember it was very secular. Lots of temples and worship, but it's secular worship. Now, there were a lot of, lot of Jews there, as we'll see, but it was a very mixed town. It was also a wild town. Like, even by Roman standards, it had a reputation of bringing pretty loose and free with things morality-wise. And that helps, because when we see a lot of what Paul has to deal with, you have to remember these people that became Christian, they came from a place where things such as wild sex was part of a worship service. And so it's, it was a very strange mindset he had to deal with. A lot of rivalry, a lot of dissension when you have that many different people, because it was a city of very, very diverse backgrounds, even though it was run by Rome. Okay? So that's just giving an idea of the area. And in some ways it seems really small, but it also helps to remember that by the time Paul takes the gospel to Corinth, we're only a little, like, roughly 20 years since the resurrection. Because as we forget when we read Acts, Acts covers about 30 years. In fact, I also want to make that clear. We infer a lot from Scripture that you would say, well, we don't have a direct quote on that. I, I just want to remind us, the apostles wrote a lot of letters. We don't have most of them. And so even this letter, that's why I refer to the letter D to Corinth, is what we call 1 Corinthians, we know is not the first letter to the Corinthians. Because in that letter, Paul refers to an earlier letter. So we know he wrote at least one letter before that, maybe more. So what we call 1 Corinthians, scholars call Corinthians B. It seems in 2 Corinthians, Paul's referring to letters, and some say, well, he's just referring to 1 Corinthians. But there's some stuff he gets into, it sure seems like he's talking about a whole lot of other stuff. So most scholars think between 1 and 2 Corinthians, there's a letter C, and maybe even more than that. And so that's why 2 Corinthians is considered letter D. It's probably at least the fourth letter, and there may have been many more. Because the apostles wrote lots of letters, we don't have them all. The apostles also did a lot of things in that 30-year period we don't have. And I'll bring this up when we get to that in certain sections, is we know for sure when Paul went the first time to Corinthians, and we also know of a second visit for sure. <clears throat> Some scholars speculate there was a third visit in between. And then many even say there was a fourth visit afterwards that we don't have a record of. Some of that speculation, but I hope you'll see some of the inferences make sense. So I know this is very academic, and, and I like to talk about hard things. But in this case, to really understand the heart of Corinthians, it helps to know a lot of background. So you're all with me and you're excited about this, right? Because yeah. you're going to lie even if you're not, because you care about me. <clears throat> so... We're zooming in now onto what is today Turkey and Greece. But again, this shows you a lot of the names that when you read Acts and you read the letters, it helps to know these names. This is Paul's second trip. On the very first trip, he mainly went to where it says Galatia. I mean, he did go to Lycia. Um, there's an Antioch there in the middle. It helps to know that's the Antioch that's in Galatia. It's also called Pisidia Antioch. And the reason why that's important is because Paul's home base was Antioch, but it's a different Antioch. It's the Antioch at that time was in Syria. Now it's also in Turkey. Turkey even today still has two Antiochs. So there's confusion. So Paul starts in the Antioch on the lower right corner. Tarsus was his home city in Cilicia. And he goes through on his second trips. They went through the first trip. He and Barnabas preached the gospel. Churches are established. He wants to go back. Actually, he and Barnabas both wanted to go back and affirm the, the, the people, encourage the people in those churches. 
But he and Barnabas, because they were human, had a big fight, and they split. Because originally they took John Mark, and John Mark, less than halfway through the trip, bailed on them. And John Mark also happens to be the nephew of, of Barnabas, but that's another issue. Anyway, Barnabas wants to have John Mark again. Paul doesn't. So basically, John Mark and Barnabas go their way. So God actually used even their division to good because they spread the gospel their way. And Paul went with Silas. And then they go on this second trip. <clears throat> so they start out in Galatia just encouraging the different churches. While he's in Galatia, he wants to go to Asia. And again, not the continent of Asia. He wants to go into the province of Asia. But the Lord forbids it which is just even interesting to talk about and, and to think about, is Paul had to be led in the Spirit, and the Spirit said no. So then he went north, planning to go into Bithynia and Pontus, and the Lord said no again. So he goes over to Troas, and you see in the center is that port city of Troas, and while he's in Troas, he has a vision of a person from Macedonia saying, come help me. And so through the vision, he decides, well, we're going to go to Macedonia. So he sells from Troas. Um, there's actually a little port city that's not on this map that he goes to. But eventually ends up in Macedonia, and they share the gospel in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. In all of this, and I want to make this clear, in the first trip and in the second trip, they preach the gospel, people respond well. And most of the time it was from Jews that follow them or that don't like it because this happened in their first trip. Not, not long after Paul preaches the gospel, Jews, meaning well, thinking they're serving God, come back behind him and slime him. And they catch up to him and they persecute him in the first trip. They persecute him the second trip. So Paul's getting flack. He's getting persecuted. I say that because we have to remember Paul is human and Paul gets flack the whole time. So we see a man who actually has to deal with flack and yet perseveres through it. Because I also want to clear, Paul is no wimp. Like, Paul does not lack assertiveness, even though he's accused of that at times. By Not by us, I'm saying in Scripture he's been accused of it. Okay, from Berea he goes down to Athens. It's where he does the famous the speech on the hill, where he uses their, their idol to an unknown god to relate to them, which is really powerful. I still remember there was a, a teacher, I think his last name was Simons, at, at a CR. And when he taught uh, ways of persuasion, he used the speech that Paul used at Athens to talk about how Paul used an, an idol to actually bridge a connection with, with the Greeks there at Athens. Okay, he goes from Athens to Corinth, and we're going to pick it up here. So I'm going to go into Acts, where Paul now is in Corinth, which is the major city. And we're going to pick it up here. And... Well, first, a little background, because I'm not I'm starting a little ways down in this. When he gets to Corinth, he meets Priscilla and Aquila, who are Jewish Christians who came out of Rome. But this is part of how we get our dates, because the Jews were expelled by Claudius in uh, 49 AD. So we know it's after 49 AD, and then we later know because Gallio is the proconsul, we can pretty much say this is in the early 50s is that that's how we get these dates. So he meets Priscilla and Aquila, they're tent makers, so they, they work making tents, and then on the Sabbath, Paul's doing this. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. 
The standard operation for Paul is when he went to a town, he'd first go to synagogues and talk to Jews and Greeks that were basically like affiliated with the Jews. Because explain the Messiah that he came made most sense to Jews that already had a history similar to his. So that's how he always started. But he also included talking to Greeks in general. When Silas and Timothy came, because they were in Macedonia, remember Paul went up to Macedonia and then came down. When they came and joined him, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So now he doesn't have to spend all his time making tents. Testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, because they often did become abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And this is the first place we see in Acts where Paul says, I am targeting the Gentiles from here on out. Now, he didn't mean I'm abandoning all Jews. He just said in that town, because later when he goes to Ephesus, he goes back to his original routine of starting in synagogues again. But at least in Corinth, he's saying, okay, the Jews, you're resisting me. I'm going to talk to all the other people, because there's a whole lot of other people besides Jews in Corinth. Then Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed in the Lord. Many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. When it says many, it's many relative to a very large city. So this is possibly one of the faster growing churches in the whole area. I mean, in all of... Uh, what then was Christian down in that small area of, of Greek and uh, Turkey. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, which was way longer than he usually stayed at this time teaching them the word of God. So he stays there quite a while to establish this church. And then it goes on to talk about uh, the proconsul Galileo because there is a, a, a big flurry and they take him to court. And the reason this is important is again, to get the idea of what the political climate was like. Because again, most of the persecution came from religions, not from the Romans at this time in, in, in the 50s. Because most of the flack came either from the Jews, who didn't like you teaching Messiah and telling people they didn't have to follow Jewish ways, or it came from the secular religions, because as people get converted from idolatry, it affects the priesthood and the businesses. Because a lot of businesses make money on silversmiths and goldsmiths making stuff for idol worship. And basically when they convert, it's like, you don't need idols. In fact, let's avoid them. And so he has a lot of flat going on. It's interesting because Galileo, because this also gives us the, the reason we know this is early 50s, <clears throat> his reaction to it was, before Paul can even make a defense, he stops Paul and says, you know what? If this was about something important, like a misdemeanor or a crime that mattered to me, I'd deal with it. But this is about words and terms of beliefs among your own people. I don't flip and care. Just settle it yourselves. And then they start being up on one of the leaders of one of the synagogues, and Galileo was like, I don't care, beat him up. I don't care, just have nothing to do with it. And again, it gives you the, the idea of the chaos of Rome had order, but only to the extent that it fulfilled Rome's agenda. Other than that, people were left to be divisive on their own, and Galileo just pretty much didn't care. <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna talk about Apollos, because it, it's important. 
So Paul was in Corinth. When he leaves Corinth, he finally gets to go to Asia. He goes to Ephesus. And when he goes to Ephesus, again, he starts in the synagogue. He preaches the gospel. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila go with him. But then they stay in Ephesus, and he goes down to Jerusalem. And a lot of stuff goes on we don't have time for. While Priscilla and Aquila are in Ephesus, they meet Apollos. Apollos had been a disciple of John, and he believed in the Messiah, but he didn't know the whole truth. So he knew about the baptism of John. He didn't know about the, the Holy Spirit. There's a lot Apollos didn't know, but he was a very good teacher. Priscilla and Aquila meet him in Ephesus, and they teach him. They show him a better way, is the way it literally says in Acts. So they teach Apollos more, and then Apollos is really gifted, and they go, you know what? There's a lot of people in Corinth that need a teacher. You're a good teacher, Apollos. Why don't you go to Corinth? So they send him off to Corinth. And that's important because now Apollos, who's not opposed to Paul, is in Corinth teaching and instructing people. But, as people tend to do, other people are divisive. Apollos wasn't. But other people were and like, well, we like the way Apollos teaches. And they start saying, well, we are followers of Apollos. And other people are saying, well, we like Paul, who really brought the gospel the first time. And they start having division. And they start getting divided. And because of this, we know Paul wrote the first letter we don't have, and he wrote the second letter. And they may have both dealt with it, but it's really explicit in 1 Corinthians. That's why he says, we're one body. What is wrong with you people? And I like it because he's assertive, but in a caring way of, we're supposed to be full of love, and you were saying, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul. And then some of you act really super spiritual and say, I'm of Jesus. And he's like, but it's all nonsense. And, and actually you see in 1 Corinthians that I can't go into, they deal with sexual behavior. He just deals with a lot of problems. The part I want to get across is, Corinth, because it's a mismatch, a mix of a city, the church has real city problems, and it has a lot of division, a lot of stuff going on. Clear enough? <clears throat> so we know Paul writes these letters. So now I want to jump ahead. <clears throat> this is Paul's third journey. So on Paul's third journey, I don't even tell the direction, but basically when he leaves Antioch the third time, he goes to Ephesus, which again is the province of Asia. And he stays there for years, at least two years, and maybe even more. And so he's staying in the province of Asia. Many scholars think during that period of time, he did make a trip over to Corinth, because he seems to refer to a visit. Okay? Whether or not that's exactly true, what we do know is, while he was over there in Asia, he did plan to go to Corinth either a second time or a third time. We aren't sure which number. But he planned to go to Corinth, and he must have written him a letter telling him that. Because one of the issues they have with him is they expected him to show up, and he didn't. He actually sent Titus. So while he's in Asia, Titus goes to Corinth. Paul decides not to go to Corinth, because he was going to go to Corinth and then go up to Macedonia and travel that way. Instead, he goes up to Troas and heads into Macedonia. So he changes his mind, and that ends up an issue. While he's in Macedonia, Titus comes and visits him. They get to run into Titus, who had been to Corinth. And he has some good things to say about Corinth, but he also has some very disturbing things to say. So while he's in Macedonia, he's hearing information that is not really good. And that is why he writes 
what we call 2 Corinthians, which is probably at least his fourth letter, maybe more than that. So while he's in Macedonia, he is writing this letter to the Corinthians. And after he writes the letter and sends it to them, he eventually does make his way through Macedonia. And then when we get to Acts 20, when it says he's in Greece, he is in Corinth. And he stays there in Corinth for three months, patching things up and straightening things out. So, so he does, it does end well. And then in Acts, he ends in Corinth, and he makes his way all the way back through Macedonia again to Jerusalem. Okay? I know that's a lot of history, but it's important history. Okay. <clears throat> the thing I want to make it clear is, when he's writing 2 Corinthians, he is knowing there are complaints and accusations people are making, specifically from some leaders who have showed up. It seems like maybe they were outsiders that came in later. Don't know that for sure, but it sure seems that way in the letter. And it's important to know, these accusations include them accusing Paul of being crazy. And I know we say as a joke, oh, they're just crazy. But no, they mean seriously, like, this dude is out of his mind. Because Paul even later says, I'm not out of my mind, even though they say I am. So they're accusing him of being crazy. They're accusing him of being manipulative. He's, he's being told, these super apostles are saying, Paul is inferior to us. Because they're more eloquent, and then they brag about spiritual experiences and unique, clever insights. And I think this is important. I mean, I know it's important. And it reminds me of a time when I was invited, you know, like, oh, you need to come to this prophet's conference and go hear this prophet. And I want to clear, what he said wasn't bad in the sense he wasn't teaching something horrible. But what he did is he was using Old Testament scriptures to make vague reference and make it seem all mystical. And when he finally got to his point, the one, one guy asked me, what'd you think of it? I said, I think it was atrocious. And they're like, what? I said, well, let me put it this way. His point is right on. It's biblical. But instead of being vague and impressive, he could have just read Colossians 3 because it just says in Colossians 3 what his point was. So instead of being plain and simple language, they flowered it up to be impressive. And I say that because Paul actually attacks that way. We'll see in 2 Corinthians. All right, everybody with me? Long intro, but it's, it's important because as we go through this over the weeks ahead, it helps to remember Paul was a man who did have spiritual experience, a man who was very assertive when he needed to be, a man who did miracles, like miracles, and they even knew about it, and a guy who dealt with persecution. So he has serious cred, like he has got powerful street cred. But it's interesting the way he chooses to approach them. And now we're going to read how he chooses to approach them. Right? Yes. So I'm just going to go through the first 14 verses. So with all this chaos going on, Paul starts it this way. From Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, by the will of God. He had to do this also in Galatia for the same reason. It's like a tone here of, I'm going to talk to you relationally. But let's make it clear. I'm an apostle, and it ain't by your will. You didn't vote me in, and you can't vote me out. I'm an apostle by the will of God. So by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, and to all the saints that are in Achaia. Because again, Corinth is the center hub of all Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So wait, he, he's going to have to defend himself eventually, but his approach is, I'm going to first talk about comfort. 
who comforts us in all our troubles, that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. That alone is a powerful testimony. And we, we often refer to the scriptures quote a lot because it is true. Um, like even families and friends that are like have lost a child. You know who's best at comforting people who have lost children? Other people who have lost children. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort that you experience in your patient endurance of the same sufferings we also suffer. So with all the flack, all the relational nonsense that's going on, all the division, Paul does know one thing we have in common. I get flack for the faith, and so do you. And so he starts with, what is our common ground? Our common ground is we actually have an enemy, a spiritual enemy that works against us. And he later talks even about spiritual warfare that we'll get to, but not today. But his idea is, no, I'm going to first go for common ground. We all get flack. We all get suffering. And we all need comfort. So before we ever talk about defense and anything like that, I'm first going to get to that common ground. Our, and our hope is steadfast because we know that as you share in our sufferings, also you will share in our comfort, that common ground. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia. Because remember, he got a lot of flack while he was in Asia. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of living. He's been attacked and told he's an inferior apostle. And instead of starting with, like, because nowadays when I hear this, someone would say, oh, don't say I'm inferior. I've got a church of 30,000. You know, I have a million followers on whatever, X or Facebook or whatever. He doesn't talk that street cred. The thing he starts with is, I'm going to start out telling you how weak I am. That we suffered a lot and we despaired even of living. So I'm going to talk to you about my honest weakness of, I get down too. I, 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 I fight these battles, and you know what? I'm not always just full of joy and speakable, full of the glory and running around giddy. There are times I despair. It's, it's, it's an act of humility that, that breeds a connection, feeds a connection. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us. So we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. There's a lot of common themes, but a big common theme through 2 Corinthians is a constant. He has a, this, this whole thread of, I'm not going to trust the flesh. I'm not going to trust strength. I'm not going to trust eloquence. I'm not going to trust manipulation. I am going to just simply put my trust in what God is doing. So we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. I also think that this is powerful for us to remember. Paul had days where it's like, it is so bad I'm despairing of life, and all I can cling to, the only promise I can cling to is, when I'm dead, he raises me, and I'm out of this nonsense. That there are days where all I'm clinging to isn't even a great hope of like a million people coming to Jesus. It's like, you know what, when it's all over, he's raising me from the dead, and that's about all I can cling to right now. He delivered us from so great a risk of death that he will deliver us. We have set our hope on him that he will deliver us again. 
and as you also join in helping us by prayer. So now he's committing them of, I know you've prayed for me, and your prayer is effective. Prayer works. Prayer helps. Even today, I, I felt a, a relief, a pressure, because uh, Linda in the prayer room, I'm concerned of a friend whose father had to have emergency open-heart surgery. And just having Linda pray for him and for her family, it strengthened me. <clears throat> so that many people may give thanks to God on our behalf for the gracious gift given to us through the help of many. So he's affirming their help. Again, these are people that have been hearing accusations and saying he's crazy, but he's not going to start there. He's starting with practical ways of connection we can live by. Connection of shared experience, shared struggle, and affirming whatever help someone offers you, even if it's just prayer, because prayer is a real thing. For our reason for confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience is that with pure motives and sincerity which are from God, not by human wisdom, again, running theme, not by human wisdom, but by the grace of God, we conducted ourselves in the world and all the more to you. So he's making connection, but he's also being very clear. My conscience is clear. I have pure motives and I have sincerity. Because he's been accused of manipulation and being insincere. And he's just starting out like, I'm connecting with you, but I also want it clear. I have never been insincere with you. My motives are pure. We do not write you anything other than what you can read and also understand. Remember, the other guys are using flowery words and symbolism. And he's saying, no, I don't go with that form of eloquence. I'm writing to you dirt simple that you can understand. But I hope that you will understand completely just also, just as also you have partly understood us, that we are your source of pride, just as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he's saying this, and I'll get into this more, like, like they'll even talk about letters of recommendation. And he says, letters of recommendation, you are my letter. <laughs> like, remember, I was there with you. Remember how you came to Jesus. Remember what we went through. You should be my reference letter. In fact, later even says, you shouldn't need others to write you a letter for us. Because of our relationship, you should be the one defending me. Like, I shouldn't have to defend me. Because of who we are together, you should have figured that one out. And, and I like, because I feel like in his humility, he's boldly candid, and yet he's also tender. And there's a big lesson in getting breakthrough from relationships that we can learn from this. The idea of making common ground and being tender, and yet also having candor. And as we go through the letter, we're going to see this in other ways. We're also going to see what it really means to like rely on the Spirit and not ourselves. Okay? And that is really as far as I want to take today. Because the next thing he goes into is him dealing with the whole subject of, hey, I knew I said I was going to come to Europe first before Macedonia, and I'm not doing it that way. I went to Macedonia first. And he ends up explaining why. But that's another day. Because <clears throat> what I'm going to close with is just what we can look forward to in the letter. And the reason I'm not doing this chapter by chapter is 2 Corinthians to me is another reason why I think it's so heartfelt and so insightful. In many ways, it is the least structured of all the letters. Like in Ephesians and Colossians, there's a flow that is really obvious. 2 Corinthians, it's a lot more circular. Because <clears throat> he goes, talks about this, talks about that, and next you know, you're talking about this again. 
Because I think it's a guy pouring his heart out, and so the flow is kind of mixed. And so really, you almost have to look at chapters 1 through 7 as a whole. And that's basically where he talks about comfort and troubles, weakness and resurrection power, their relationship history, the greater covenant, restitution. This whole connection and conflict, but it's in a mishmash of topics. And there's other beautiful teachings in it. So as we go through this, we'll spend a lot of times mostly in chapters 1 through 7. Um, chapters 8 and 9 does have a pretty logical flow. It's about generosity and a collection for the church that's struggling. And then 10 through 13 is, this is like he's built the foundation of relationship, and he gets crazy. I'd almost call it apostolic sarcasm. Like he gets really gut level of like, okay, now I'm really going to give you the warnings and what my real concern is. It is such an extreme that some scholars almost think that chapters 10 to 13 were actually part of the letter he wrote earlier, and people just tacked it on to the end. I don't know that that's true. I don't know that's necessary. It matters which way. But it's still a powerful thing of it's very candid because there is a time for candor. And there is a time for being assertive. But the lesson I want us to learn today is before he's assertive, he first builds connection. The connection has to come first. Okay? So hopefully you get that. But for a conflict to have breakthrough, to get past fear into joyful relationships, it first comes from establishing connection. First actually comes from expressing humility and weakness of, hey, my feelings are hurt too. I mean, it, it is interesting because it's so different than like even the way I was raised. Is you almost have more like, no, as a guy, you can't hurt me. And Paul takes takes one and he gets even more explicit to say, hey, you know what? When I heard from Titus, it's stung. Like, I want to have a deep connection with you. My heart's open to you. You closed your heart to me. Man, that's a step of vulnerability. That was not the way I was raised to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And yet he's saying, no, Paul went low by admitting, I, I am a human just like you. I suffer. I need encouragement. Hey, let's work this out so we can encourage each other because I take pride in who you are. And I want you to take pride in who I am. Okay? So that's the intro. <laughs> I know it's a long intro, but we'll pick it up there as we do this uh, Second Corinthians. Okay? Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.